Silence is uncomfortable, isn't it? Some of you are wondering, what is he doing right now? I slowly counted to 10 in my head, and that was weird. We are used to noise. We're used to something filling the air. Now, part of that is particularly because you expect me to start speaking after I pray. I recognize that was breaking some norms there. And yet we do find silence to be odd. Probably because we're always listening. Your day starts with the blaring of an alarm clock. And wasn't that alarm particularly loud this morning, an hour ahead? And then you go about your day. Whether you have the news on, whether you're listening to the radio, whether you're talking with coworkers, whether you're talking around the dinner table at home, you hear things. But you don't just hear blanket noise. You hear opinions. You hear news. You hear thoughts. Your mind is being shaped. People, whether near to you or who have never met you, are seeking to influence you. Whether it is self-help gurus, spiritual practitioners, politicians, members of the media, famous athletes or actors, or yes, even pastors like myself, we regularly stand before you or appear on your screen and we tell you what is important and what you should do with your life. Your ears are a precious commodity. Who do you listen to? And what do you do with it? What I'm going to argue from Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 49, is that we must ground ourselves in Jesus' teaching, lest we be ruined by the empty thinking of our day. Let me say that again. We must ground ourselves in Jesus' teaching lest we be ruined by the empty thinking of our day. I invite you to follow along as I read from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 49. And let us hear the teaching of Jesus. Beginning in verse 37, it says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. 
The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. We can navigate through this passage by asking two simple questions. If you want to know them, I've already written them down for you. They are the title of the sermon, and this title is not brief. Who do you listen to, and what do you build your life upon? Who do you listen to, and what will you build your life upon? First, this question of who do you listen to, Previously in Jesus' sermon that he is preaching at this point, in, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus has spoken to those who are following after him, and he has articulated and explained the manner by which the mercy of God has come through him, and the means by which this mercy enables his audience, his disciples, those who would follow him, to love their enemies. And before this, he articulated how this hope in God, as revealed in Jesus who has come, enables those who would follow him to have hope in, in, in the midst of whatever circumstances, even dire, that they may be walking through. And so in one sense, Jesus has been speaking of and grabbing hold of the hearts of his listeners. But now he reaches back and he starts to grab hold of the ears of his listeners. And interestingly, if you take this, contact, this, con, this contrast of loving, their, loving enemies and then who, the, who his listeners listen to, Jesus is starting to try to reveal to his followers, I want you to love those who are not with you. But when it comes to listen, I don't want you to listen to them. And he starts to articulate this as we see him address in verse 37. He gives a charge to all who are listening. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Jesus is addressing a large audience here as he speaks to them. It's, it's likely that there were many of his followers, many disciples there. It's likely that there were also some gathered who were perhaps fascinated by the miracles of Jesus, but they didn't quite know what to make of the things that he was saying, and so they were kind of taking a wait-and-see approach. And then there were Pharisees and scribes who were also gathered, and Jesus is slowly going to turn his attention to the Pharisees and scribes in a moment, but he's speaking to all of these different people that make up this crowd. Now, the Pharisees and scribes were interesting, and they're, and they're, they're part of the reason they turned, they received part of his attention, is that they had the biggest influence over those who, were see, who, who uh, Jesus was addressing who were trying to follow him. And particularly, they were concerned about Jesus, these Pharisees and scribes, because he was in some senses turning upside down the religious practice of their day, the Jewish practice of their day. They applied laws and, and burdens and expectations upon all who would seek to be faithful to God. And Jesus is responding to this because they are disconnected from what it means to truly be faithful to God. They were abusing their Old Testaments and trying to lay burdens and heavy weights upon them. And so Jesus starts to exhort them 
that how you teach others, how you interact with others, what you say to others, it is born of something deep inside of you. And so we quote this passage, we quote verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. How often does that play into our own minds? Whenever somebody says something a little too bracing to us, or we think something has crossed the line. I won't say who, but a member of our church staff pointed that out to me in staff meeting this week when they thought I was being a little too judgmental. I said, okay, need some work on that, Stephen, before we preach on Sunday. But we like to call this into account, but we need to see the manner by which it reveals our hearts. Jesus says in verse 38, talking about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. He's, he's, he's giving an illustration from his day when, when people would buy a bushel of wheat or a bushel of, 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 of food and it would be packed down, packed tightly, and, and be given in full, not be full of air like you know a bag of chips that you buy that you open up and is a quarter full. He's saying, no, you get the full thing. Whatever you give, you get back. So he gives this charge. And now he talks, in verse 39, he goes on and he gives an illustration that illustrates both a danger and a folly in warning us who we listen to. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? As Jesus starts to turn his attention to the Pharisees, he starts to say to them, you realize that you are blind and you're leading the blind. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Let's pause there. What Jesus is getting at is he, as he, as he is exhorting both those who listen to him and addressing the Pharisees and scribes is he's, he's warning us, or we see a warning in here, as he addresses the Pharisees and scribes about how they speak to others and what they exhort upon others He's warning us that we should not believe that we are not influenced by who we listen to as well. So when we think about the voices that give most credence in our lives or even get the most time in our lives, voices of rage are going to elicit rage in us. Voices of encouragement are going to elicit encouragement in us. But here's what we have to see. They're laying these burdens upon those who had fallen. They're saying, you want to be made right with God? Here is how you do it. But they were entirely wrong. And what Jesus is starting to show is an entirely different way of of, of understanding our relationship with God and what it means to walk in obedience to Him. And so think of these ideas, this this idea of obedience, this idea of salvation. Okay, so so often in our world, in 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 our human mindset, we think, okay, to make myself right with God, to earn some kind of salvation, however you might picture it, then I must walk in obedience to his word or do do what I feel like I should do morally or whatever and I will reach that point of salvation but what Jesus says is that Christianity actually turns us upside down and Jesus has come to us and we cannot walk in a manner that earns God's earns God's love for us we cannot walk in a manner that 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 is righteous enough for God's pleasure with us Rather, Jesus Christ has come in, in, God's, in his love for us, and he has accomplished our salvation in his perfect righteousness. And so now all who trust in Jesus, whose faith rests in him, they have salvation and they walk in obedience to him that is born out of that salvation. And so you're either claw, claw, clawing your way towards it and you cannot reach it, or you're living in light of it and what it has come from you, or come to you in Jesus Christ. Okay, so now... Friends, we would be foolish as we see these burdens, these standards, these 
Pharisees that are, that are walking around doing eye surgery on the spot, trying to get specks out of people's eyes, we would be foolish to believe that that only happened in Jesus' day and does not happen in our day. How often do we wonder, what must I do to make myself right with God? Perhaps we don't, worry, we don't ask it like that. But how, how do we ask ourselves, whether it's in our eyes or in the eyes of others, what must I do to make myself acceptable, secure, loved, valued? Those whose, whose pleasure and praise you seek are where you are looking for salvation. And what Jesus and the gospel shows us is that we cannot match that level. We cannot reach that plateau. We cannot reach that point where we have it earned. But rather, when we rest in and, and enjoy and are refreshed by the grace of God that has come to us in Jesus, then we are able to understand ourselves and we are able to walk in obedience to Him. And so Jesus exposes the danger and the folly of this thinking of, of blind men following blind men around. He's saying, you Pharisees, you're nothing but blind men leading the blind. And this language builds on Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 as it builds on uh, the spiritually blind who were, um, uh, uh, Jesus came, he came to give sight to the spiritually blind. And Jesus, and Jesus is saying, is echoing this as he gives this illustration. And now when we think about the blind being led by the blind, or, or, or uh, uh, hypocrites rooting out the specks in some eyes but not the logs in others, then we recognize that there are ways in which we are tempted towards this. I want you to think about, so you might think, okay, whenever you use this passage or you think of like judge not lest you be judged, you, you think of like, like, like some high legalistic standard. You know, you, I, I demand that you view politics or cultural issues or economics or morality or a, a, a wide swath of things in the way that I see it and otherwise you're not acceptable. And yeah, that's true, but I think there's a more undercurrent way in which we buy into a false sense of legalism or a false sense of trying to make ourselves right with God that we fail to grasp. If the first way that we think of naturally is, is, is these unbearable burdens that we carry, the next way might be like unattainable aims that we have for ourselves and for our lives. So here's what I mean. When you, try to, when you apply for a job or when you apply to get into a graduate school or when you, when you uh, uh, have hopes for your children or when you have all sorts of things that you, you want to see happen in your life and then those things don't. You don't get into school. You have trouble finding a spouse. Your children aren't quite panning out the way that you hope they would or, or, or whatever it is, you start to feel in a sense undone. You start to feel vulnerable. You start to feel broken as if something, not just I didn't get the job or I failed the test, but you feel like something is wrong with me. One of the great lies of our day and age is the lie that says all the answers to our problems rest within us. And we, in one sense, we diagnose this really well culturally. 
You see, you, and, and track with me on this, you're starting to see more and more how uh, studies are starting to reveal the, the dangers and the harms of social media usage, particularly for young, vulnerable people who are, are, are their minds are still being molded, their self-esteem and, and everything else is, 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 is easily fashioned and all of that. And they're seeing the dangers of social media uh, usage and how it presents an image of what the ideal person is and says, you've got to meet this image in order to be acceptable. But the problem with the way that we view things so much in our world is whether you're, whether you're five years old or whether you're 95 years old, so much of the answer to our problems is, well, just believe in yourself. And what Jesus reveals here is actually that believing in ourselves and believing the answers to or salvation belongs or rests inside of us is dangerously harmful. Because what he reveals is that you are blind and you're groping and grasping around and you cannot find the salvation that you need. Rather, you need it in me. He illustrates this point further in verses 43 and following. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. You see how Jesus illustrates this ultimate picture here. Salvation does not rest in what you can do, or how you can present yourself, or what you can make of yourself or even achieving your wildest dreams. Jesus says you cannot produce it in yourself. You cannot produce it in what those who have that position of authority over you demand of you. Rather, he says it has to be alien. It has to come from outside of yourself. So as you think, just even pausing for a moment, and think, what enslaves my mind? What enslaves my thoughts? What enslaves my, my goals, my dreams? Who can dictate the moods that I'm in? Who can dictate what, what kind of day I'm having? What we start to realize is that though we might not feel as if we have specks or logs in our eyes, Jesus has actually come in order that he might help us to see more clearly and to see him vividly. Because the salvation that we need rests in him. And it's not just a sense of you have to look at Jesus more. It's a sense that you have to be made new by him. And so track with me on this. As we, as we read along here, as he says, as he challenges us to, on this question of who do we listen to, he then, expo- he, he then goes on and reveals the danger of listening to the wrong voices. as leading people around in circles, leading them to the destruction. And so the first question is, how do we, who do we listen to? The second question is then, what will we build our lives upon? Ultimately, Jesus brings everything to a head as he reveals an all-too-common temptation. And that is in verse 46, that we can uh, appreciate Jesus, but not trust Jesus. We can appreciate him, but not trust him. Look at verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He gives an illustration of two houses, one built on a solid rock foundation and one built on ground without a foundation. And he says, ultimately, we will all be one of these two houses. And look what determines which houses listeners are in in verses 47 and 49. Look at this closely. Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Okay? You see that, and does them. Now look at verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them 
is like a man who builds his house on the ground. So you see, okay, so everybody hears. The question is, will you do or will you not do? To be or not to be. I just thought of that. But anyway, Jesus is saying, you will either listen to me and find me interesting, but unworthy of your life, unworthy of trusting, me to be unworthy of trusting in, or Jesus says, I will get to remake you. I will, I will make you into the person that I would have you to be. You must surrender entirely to me. Build, anchor your foundation of your heart, your life, solely in me. And beloved, may I share with you what I believe to be the greatest temptation that we face in considering whether we will listen to Jesus and do what he says. Are we willing to forsake and ignore the siren song of comfortable Christianity. We face the temptation of wanting the promises of Jesus for heaven, of wanting even His presence and His power to be with us here, but not wanting the commands of Jesus to walk in obedience to Him, not welcoming the good grace of His Word confronting us, challenging us, being the means by which we are transformed day by day. To use the analogy he gives here, it is possible that we could decorate the walls of our homes with pithy, cute sayings about the love of God, about the mercy of God, about the grace of God while the foundation of our home is on shifting grounds because we are not anchored to the God whose attributes we claim to celebrate. Now, here's what you might be thinking, or I was thinking as I walked through this text, as I worked through it. I thought to myself, okay, I need to, I need to understand this a little more clearly, and, and I'm having a problem here because I have Jesus saying, you have to do these things. But I have him condemning the Pharisees and scribes who are having their audience do these things. And then I've got the problem of what we understand as the, the, the heartbeat of Christianity, whereby we don't build our, we don't find salvation by what we do. We are saved by the grace of God. So I've got a hang up here. What do I do with it? Well, I think our answer lies before us. If we see what Jesus is saying, the man who does these things, he builds his house on the foundation, on this rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. I think one thing that Jesus might very well be getting at here is he is mentioning these rising floodwaters that will, either, that will prove the sureness of the faith of those who profess to be his people. And I want you to track with me on this. In the Old Testament, waters of judgment were prevalent in a couple of places. The ark and the exodus. What happened in the, in the story of Noah and the ark? Noah, they built an ark. They're rescued from the waters of God's judgment that washed over the earth via the ark. In the Exodus, the people of Israel were, were led out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea with waters parted and, and standing high on both sides. And then the waters let in and crashed down upon 
their Egyptian pursuers. I think what Jesus is revealing here is that he is the greater ark by which his people find salvation. And so what he's saying is, it is easy for you to try to keep your list of rules of do's and don'ts. It is far harder, but far more necessary for you to anchor your life in me. We will be saved via the ark of Jesus' death in our place. Or we will not survive these rising waters. But here's the wonder of the Christian life. Walking in love, walking in hope, walking in grace, walking in compassion, walking in generosity towards others, that is best going to come out of those not who muster it in themselves, but who the love of God in Christ is revealing it through them. So you want to love those around you, even those who are difficult? You want to take what Jesus has just said in the section prior about loving your enemies and say, how do I love my enemies? You recognize that you were one whom Jesus loved, and he died for your sins. And that enables you to then love your enemies, not through clenched teeth because it's what you should do, but through a transformed heart because it is what God is making you into. The same goes with hope. I look at this world and I'm I'm, I'm overrun by a sense of hopelessness with all the bad news you see. How do I hope in a world that seems to lack hope? How do I hope in my life and when I feel so drained or so hopeless? I hope because I can't muster it in myself, but I have a Savior who has come to me, who has died in my place, who was resurrected, and who has promised that he is with me. And he will sustain me. And so I can hope in him today because he has shown me that he will be with me all days. And so when I know that I can stand against the rising waters of God's righteous judgment, on my sin because of Jesus enduring that judgment in my place. That enables me to navigate the waters that rise around me in this day. And I want to illustrate this for you via the testimony of some sweet children in Ukraine. As many of you in our church know that we have financially supported Christians and the church in Ukraine navigating the calamity of the war of the past year, supporting them as they meet humanitarian needs, minister to souls in distress. And I received this, this report this week on Bible camps that churches are hosting for children. And the pastor of this one church writes the following, this time the camp was different from before, comparing it to having a children's camp in the middle of a war and before a war. He said it was quieter. We had to be very cautious. As always, there were times for singing, for Bible lessons, for games, for some handicrafts, but this time we did not turn up the music, and in case of an air alarm, we hid in the basement. Every day there was more disturbing news in Ukraine. Missiles exploding, people were dying, but through us, 
the Holy Spirit soothed these young souls and pointed to joy and peace in the Lord. After the camp, about 20 new children started to consistently come to Sunday school. Praise the Lord that he is always with us and we can glorify him even in these challenging times. We don't know when the waters are going to rise. But we know that if our hearts are anchored to Christ in his gospel, that we will be able to withstand those waters that rise. The danger before us is that we have voices all around us that try to tell us the solutions are everywhere else but in Christ. And so the question that comes before us is who will we listen to? And what will we build our lives upon? Brothers and sisters, every day we hear noise. Each week, part of our responsibility in gathering together to worship is to be reminded, not that we have all the answers in of ourselves, but actually to be reminded you are not in control. This world is dangerous, but you can rest in your God. And we remind ourselves in that in sitting under the preaching of God's word and reading God's word and hearing prayers from, uh, in hearing prayers and also in singing of these truths to one another. Our voices have power. Our voices are the means by which the hope of our heart is revealed. Ground yourself in Jesus' teaching lest you be ruined by the empty thinking of our day.